Welcome to this week's Hotel Analyst podcast. And this week we have something a little bit different for you. Uh, we are, as we randomly sometimes do, changing our regular format and inviting a guest onto the podcast. Uh, who's with us this week? Well, we all find it's Nick Edwards, the Chief Operating Officer of Audley Group. Uh, Audley Group are in the elder living space uh, and connected in several ways with uh, hotels and the hotelization of, of real estate. So, um, Nick, uh, do you want us to give, give us a quick little uh, hello and uh, intro, your elevator pitch? Of course. Well, look, firstly, thank you both for having me on. Um, so, what are our retirement villages? Very simply, uh, we build around a central facility, which might be an old stately home or perhaps an old school, or in some cases an old hotel, uh, a number of different housing options. So apartments, cottages in some cases, and then maybe 10 or 15 units inside the main house, as we would call it, so that central facility. We sell them on long leases. uh, And inside that central facility, we typically have a restaurant, a bar, a bistro, a swimming pool, a health and well-being facility, as well as a care office, which is there to help support uh, by providing care services to our owners, who typically tend to be 75 plus, uh, that sort of age demographic. And we sell these properties on long leases. Uh, Attached to those leases are management fees, which cover the upkeep and the running of those facilities, as well as some deferred fees or event fees that people would pay on exit. So whilst we are providing support, um, absolutely care is a really important part of our model. We're also running mini hotels uh, on the side, certainly in terms of the way we think about food and beverage uh, and uh, health and wellbeing. Um, So a bit of a crossover, if you like. Great, thanks. And I'll also, yes, let me introduce also, he's he's still here, he's here every week. It's <laughs> Andrew Sanks, the Editorial Director of Hotel Analyst, who might have a few questions. I, I do. Nick, th- thanks for coming on. Um, I want to um, ask you just to get an understanding about your business model. So you've got essentially what uh, hoteliers would understand as a sort of vertically integrated model. So you go out, you buy the land, you you, you build the the, do you call them units homes yeah. um and then then you sell the homes and then you 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 maintain the management um uh, well the the there's a sort of management contract if you like for to supply the the f&b run the health club and and, and you, you do everything from um cleaning the windows and mowing the lawn i think my understanding of, of what you get up to there that, that that's your that's your basic model and uh, do you have a sort of separation in the opco and propco there not really. So it's all still owned by the same group. So the, the top curve, if you like. Uh, we do think about the business in two halves. We think about a development side to our business than an operating side to our business. Uh, but we don't really internally split it any more than that. So it's certainly not financed uh, at the top curve level any differently. We take debt into our developments. Uh, we don't as yet take the debt into the operations. So we finance the build cost of our developments with uh, debt finance that gets repaid as we sell the units down and then at the end of that we're left with a profit on the sale of the units hopefully and then a a nice healthy income stream generated by the operations which some of which is attached to the long lease that we sell and some of which obviously is attached to food and beverage health and well-being and then uh, care services as well 
you've got a jv with the uk retirement living fund is that on the debt side then as opposed to no equity? so we, we, it's a it's a 25 75 we've got 25 and uh, octopus slash schroders uh, octopus manage the fund on behalf of schroders own 75 percent. and at the end of that so that's really a development jv right uh, that's got debt on its own right in each of those and we've got four uh, sites with them each of them have got debt underneath them but at the end of the the joint venture if you like when we finished selling the units we'll then buy those income streams back from the joint venture so we've agreed a fixed price that we'll pay for those income streams we'll buy them back and by we i mean audley we'll buy them back for the joint venture at an agreed price and that then allows the jv to exit with its return and uh, pay back its uh, capital to investors hopefully with a return as well i see and there's two you're looking at this very much there's two income streams so the management piece isn't a not-for-profit or anything like that it, it's seen as a for-profit entity um and, and yes. along sits sitting alongside the development piece i mean how, how relatively in terms of margins what are we looking at on the development side sort of broad brush numbers and what are we well, looking we, at we, we target a 25 percent profit on cost in respect to the sale of the development units uh, so, which is pretty standard for sort of resi development and sale. Uh, we sometimes we do a bit better than that. Sometimes we do a bit worse. Obviously, that's just the nature of the, the beast, really. Uh, and then on the operational side, uh, our margins are, are reasonably good, um, but we're still, I would say, subscale uh, in the sense that we've only opened 14 villages so far. And as, as I suspect some of your um, your hotel operators out there will know. Uh, at low scale, it's quite difficult with all the central costs associated with running hotels um, to be you know, highly profitable. So one of our challenges is to get ourselves to a position where the high central costs can be amortised over a bigger base of bigger base of okay. operations. So yeah, what what sort of scale do you need to get to to make that effective? Well, uh, difficult to say, and I think it's probably the sort of thirty to forty village size. Uh, which is well within reach we've got we should be opening another six next well six by the end of next year and we've got a pretty strong pipeline so i'd hope we'd up to be up to that sort of level by you know, 20 mid mid 2023 maybe early 2024 something like that do you talk in terms of occupancy of 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 the villages in terms of i mean you know there's going to be sadly a turnover um um in in terms of the the individual properties so um do you talk in in, in those terms or how, how do you look at it well we we're always full, really. Um, so uh, stock levels are pretty low. Um, resales prices for our units are really good. So we've tracked better than HPI in terms of resale values of our properties over the last five years, uh, well, over the last 10 years as well, really. Um, when you say so HPI, sorry, Nick, can just... Oh, sorry, house, house price inflation. Oh, right. So okay. when, when, when owners buy properties and then resell them on again, how much of that house price inflation have they got in their units? So if they bought for £300,000... Uh, and house price inflation was 3%, 10 years time, they should have 30% um, ignoring compounding. So they should be selling for 390. Well, we've done a bit better than that uh, in our in our track record, which is great, a testament to the quality of what we're building. But also, I think, to the scarcity of supply. There's you know, very strong demand for uh, retirement units, uh, and there's just not enough supply out there. Well, that interesting because when you describe your model, there are parallels as things like Guest Invest. You might remember with what they did, and even Timeshare. Dare I mention it? But I mean, both of those fell over because their resale piece just wasn't there. But you've got a solid resale piece there, which 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 enables that to to, to sort of be a good underpinning in terms of the f your yeah. future customer base, right? And it's an, right. it's an investment. I mean, whenever someone buys a property, it's an investment, whether it's the home that they're living in or it's a second property if they're lucky enough to be able to do that. 
uh, it's still an investment, uh, and that's uh, how we view, how we view it too. Okay, it's someone, it's it's a home, um, absolutely, it's someone's home, uh, and it is their property. But it's also an investment too. So it's important that uh, we we are curators of that and help them um, deliver a return on that investment when they when they come to sell. And they resell that via you, do you? They don't use sort of local agents or anything like that? They, they can use us or they can use a local agent entirely up to them. We've obviously got lists of people stretching back years who've wanted to buy a specific unit in a specific village uh, or indeed are open about whether they come to village A or village B and not particularly fussed about which unit, they just want to be in the village. So most of our owners will come back and reuse us so north of 90% would do that. I see. And in terms of the consumer proposition here um, what what sort of fees are they paying on a monthly basis the people staying in these properties depends a bit which village we're in we offer a few different options but it's about um, 800 pounds a month give or take uh, for our orderly villages we've just opened one or just about to open one uh, summer of next year in Watford which is a mid-market proposition which is a, a Mayf- it's called Mayfield so it's a different brand where the fees are much lower it's about 450 pounds a month uh, and that's because the village is much larger. So that's 250 units. A standard Audley, which is our um, premium end product, would be uh, more like 125 to 140 units, give or take. Right. So you, you, the, the hence the way you're very much talking about luxury there, because it's a yeah. it's a premium proposition in terms it's of more the, expensive. But it's yeah. it's really more, the service levels will be exactly the same. And I think if you asked any hotelier, you know, if you went to a soft hotel, you get a better. Um, you know, better service than you do at a, a Mercure or an M Gallery or whatever? Well, the answer is no. It just looks a bit better. The, the standard of the people should be exactly the same, and they're trying to deliver to exactly the same level of uh, service. Maybe there's a couple more bods around, um, so mm. you don't have to wait quite as long for your gin and tonic. But um, <laughs> the, the idea, the yeah. idea is certainly the same. I mean, I know these are important to put across. These aren't care homes. These are no. people living in them, living a full life. And, you know, great, you talk about the exactly. genotonics and stuff. They're going out there. Um, I mean, I know um, some people living in one of your Surrey um, properties, um, and, you know, they, they seem to have a ball. Um, yeah. you know, well, they, they are beautiful. I don't know if you've read um, Richard Osman's book, Thursday Murder Club. Which I would thoroughly. I'm not. I'm not on commission. I'm only <laughs> because I, my, my mum sent it to me and said you've got to read this, uh, and I did, and it was brilliant. And it, it really that sums up to a T what it is that we're trying to do. It, it's independent living. People buy their own property. They've got their own front door. Um, and although through COVID we had to close down all of our central facilities, so our restaurants, bars, swimming pools, and so forth, uh, they were very safe. We had um, a handful of our. 1500 or so owners and customers uh, pick up COVID and they were all maybe bar one as a result of going to hospital within another condition and then picking up COVID when they got there. Um, So we were very, very safe in our villages, which was in stark contrast to what happened in care homes. Indeed. uh, Where, you know, they were just by virtue of the model and it certainly wasn't by lack of effort. I've got a lot of friends who work in the care home business and they tried, really did they try, goodness. Mm. To, to try and keep people safe they could not have done any more in most cases and, and how do you distinguish between the care home because you can have a care package in your um yeah. in, in, in your but but is it when you just need sort of 24-hour care that's when you'd recommend going into a care home how does it work well it's a good question really and it sort of depends a bit on the type of care that one needs um so me- not many people need 24-hour day care um and we can deal with end of life uh, in our villages absolutely um, it tends to be aggressive forms of dementia 
uh, where actually the individual either becomes a danger to themselves or a danger to those around them where they need to live in very bespoke accommodation that's the it's not the only time someone would move out of one of our villages there are lots of situations where it might happen but it um, we, t- we what we're trying to do is to keep people living independently in our villages for as long as we possibly can because we think that's the best place for them and economically it's it's more efficient that way too because they're only then paying for if they need support and care they're only paying for that by the hour for when they really need it and they can vary the amount of care based on you know, what it is they need and when they need it rather than moving into a care home where it's very much one size fits all and, and so do you, a, a do you deliver that yourselves or did you get third, third yeah. parties to kind of deliver the support package no we have our own care business uh, we determined a, a number of years ago that it was really important to to do that there are other other operators have a different model they will outsource to one of our well one, one of the perfectly good domiciliary care companies mm-hmm. uh, our view was just that whilst we might be able to outsource the delivery of the care we were never really going to be able to outsource the responsibility for um, the oversight of it uh, and if something went wrong it was going to you know it would fall at our door too but we use that that the care business provides care into the community as well so it's not just to our owners we use it um, as a, um, a platform to try and provide care into the community too. And in terms of, so I mean, what what I'm hearing here is something which is uh, has clear societal benefits in terms of your you, that your owners are benefiting from being able to live independently or more independent life for longer, um, and and also you're not having to shunt them off into a care home. Um, but also there's another upside here, which is family homes, which you're desperately short of here in the UK, are being freed up as well. So there's there's a it's a sort of a win win win, isn't it? Along the well, it is. Look, I'm glad you brought that up. It almost feels like I've I've paid you to say that, but yeah. it's it's it's, um, it's front right and centre of our thinking. Um, everybody's trying to find positive social impact businesses at the moment, and we haven't really spent much time talking about that uh, in our industry as a whole, and we haven't done it much as already. We've started to turn that on a bit now, more because we've realised that we're doing it, and it actually fits very well with what everyone is trying to find from an investment point of view. So yeah, it's it's about unlocking family housing, freeing up those family homes. Um, it's allowing people to live independent lives, helping them live better for longer because we're, we're helping them with diet, we're helping them with physical exercise and mental exercise, stimulation by being in a, in a, you know, a live, uh, vigorous environment, if you like. Um, and then, of course, the other one, which is that you know, NHS is all front, right and centre of all of our minds at the moment for obvious reasons. Um, and we're helping people get out of hospitals more quickly because when they come back into one of our villages they're able to use our care services where if they've gone back to their own home it might have been very difficult to do that so because they're living in bespoke accommodation it's designed for them and it can be modified very easily to accommodate whatever it is that they need as well of course as accessing our support from our from our care staff so we unlock those beds and if you remember back to what happened at the start of covid there were thousands or tens of thousands of um, older people who were in hospitals who were suddenly shunted out of hospital yeah. you know which was and they went to care they went into care homes essentially because they couldn't go to their own homes and the, the tragedy of that was one one might ask oneself why were they in hospital in the first place if it was just so easy for them to be moved on somewhere else well it wasn't easy to move them on somewhere else the only place they could go was care homes um, actually, had they been moved into retirement village settings, I think they and, and um, everyone else would have fared a little bit better. But the units don't exist. There just isn't that level of supply uh, at the moment in the UK to cope with that. Mm. 
Mm-hmm. When you're selling um, the properties, I mean, uh, you know, if I look through your website and your brochures, it, it's, it's very much on the sort of luxury hotel property type thing. And, and there's a bit of, is, is that the priority for most of your customers? Or uh, you know, how important is this care piece as well? Uh, well, I think, look, for everybody thinks about this a little bit differently, don't they? But if you think to your own sort of personal circumstances, my elderly parents, um, wouldn't want to deal with care front right and center as a decision for anything mm-hmm. uh, so they would look at the environment and say this is wonderful it's lovely isn't it all great but they would still want to know that they could get access to care because whilst they don't want to necessarily talk about it and it doesn't want to be front right and center of their decision making it's the support that's there that's important so it's a combination of both really but it's not something that well it's certainly something that our sales team will spend time talking to a potential owner about which is you know this is what we can provide uh, and it will be a determinant in their decision making process but i think what what attracts them in the first instance is the quality of the accommodation the independent living uh, and the fact that it's it's sort of trouble free it's stress free everything is kind of taken care of uh, they don't have to worry too much and if, if my boiler breaks it's you know half a dozen phone calls to find someone to, to come and fix it if their boiler breaks it's one phone call down to reception and someone will be up to you know try and figure it out for them straight away right and you maintain your own um, yeah. maintenance people and all of this yeah. kind of stuff on, on each, yeah, so each, each side you said vertically, vertically integrated Andrew and that's exactly it we do everything ourselves uh, which comes at a cost. Part, partly my point about margins earlier on, uh, and I didn't want to be obtuse about it, but um, we're running everything ourselves. Um, so one needs a bit of scale to make all of those things, uh, all of those things work. And in terms of branding, how do you see that? I mean, uh, evolving. I mean, you're, you're big with the Audley Homes branding and the luxury bed, and you've talked about Mayfield. Do you think this is going to come into sort of a consumer-facing thing and evolve into that, or how 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 yeah, do you look absolutely. on branding? I mean, Audley is where we started. Um, we started at the higher end uh, and deliberately moving down into a, a mid-market level. Um, and the mid-market piece at Mayfield, as I said, the services are going to be the same. The, the look and feel will be pretty similar. I suspect it might be a little bit less sort of outwardly opulent, but the services will be uh, absolutely the same. Uh, and the unit sizes will just be a bit smaller to make them a bit more affordable. And because we've got more units in the village, we can charge less on our on our monthly management fees. So we're trying to trying to make it affordable. And ultimately, if we're able to get the scale and to do things right, if we can drop down further and deliver really affordable units, that would be great. Because actually, the, the real need in this country is for those that don't have enough um, to, to buy a, a property at the average house price, either in their area or nationally. And that's where uh, we want to focus our attention. Not now, that's probably... 10 years away, I would say, by the time we've got the right level of um, scale and investment interest in, in the market to, to deliver that. Um, but helping the housing associations to, to get to that will be an important part of our future. Um, as right. I said, I've been... Sorry, go Obviously something that uh, McCarthy and Stone have moved into under their new ownership. Um, yeah, so the McCarthy Stone model is a little bit different. Um, they've got less facilities on site. They're more selling properties. Uh, they are moving to a, a place where they have... Um, where they have more facilities a bit like us and i think they'll, i'm sure they'll do more of that uh, in, in private ownership than they're able to do in, in public ownership um, and indeed i suspect that was part of the reason for for taking it um, off the market was to give themselves a bit of air cover to do things that they wanted to do but couldn't do whilst they were public um, and more power to their elbow because mm. i think that's the absolutely the right way to go 
Um, so you know, delighted it's all it's all going ahead well for them. Um, yeah, and they and they did a they successfully um, sold some of their properties in, into rental. Um, and yeah, I mean it's it's absolutely something we're going to look at. Um, we've got plans afoot to do it, uh, but not mm-hmm. quite yet. Um, we've got to get our we've got to get timing right there. And make sure we've thought through all the ramifications of it uh, in the right way. But it's certainly coming, and part of that is because of demand our customers seem to want it stamp duty the frictional cost of moving is high um so there's absolutely people who decide not to buy with us because the costs are high uh, and would i'm sure move in and rent um just as the the sort of build to rent market uh, has moved on in the last five or six years or so i suspect it will do so at some pace in um, in the uh, retirement market as well you sort of de-risk the the asset ownership piece as well, don't you? If you're renting, because there is still a perception of risk within that, I guess. Yeah, I mean, it's interesting because you think about what's happened to house price inflation over the last well, since the war, um, mm. since the Second World War, it's been one way one way street. Okay, we've had the odd blip, sort of nineties, um, and then GFC and so on, but really otherwise, it's just been one, you know the story of continued upward growth. And most of the most of our owners and potential customers have. have um, benefited from serious house price growth so they, they, they're used to this being a thing so to jump from that into rental and give up the opportunity to continue to see house price growth uh, isn't necessarily an obvious one for them um, but I suspect it, what will trump that will be the desire to help their children and their grandchildren get on the housing ladder uh, so selling to release enough capital to fund their lifestyles plus being able to give enough for deposit for their for their children or their grandchildren mm. to buy properties, and I can absolutely see that as a as a thing uh, in the future. Mm. And that that there will be you know, the industry is too small at the moment, but then I'm sure there will be financial products that the big life and pensions firms, insurance companies will get their arms around to provide people with an opportunity to release equity and um, to do those sorts of things while still um, being able to buy and share in some upside in retirement units. Um, or just to you know to rent and then reinvest the, the spare capital in something that gives them a decent return. Mm. All of your hospitality services they're only open to residents, aren't they? You don't have no, any. No, no, they're open to everybody. So we, all of our all of our village restaurants are open to the general public, uh, and our health and wellbeing facilities also. We tend to cap the numbers at between 100 and 150 in the in the health and wellbeing clubs just to uh, ensure that our owners have got enough uh, enough. Um, sort of space in the in the daily calendar to use them themselves but yeah the swimming pools and the gyms and all those sorts of things will open uh, as are the restaurants and we have a good good trade um, good external trade um, and um, it you know it, it seems a bit counterintuitive because it however hard I try I know that all the people I talk to about this who haven't been to one of our villages will think I'm not going to go and have dinner in a care home that's just <laughs> it's like oh my god you must be kidding me I'm not going to do that and then you go you sit and have food there and think oh actually this is like being in a country house hotel it's really quite nice and the prices are pretty good and the food's good um so what's not what's not to like but i can tell you're thinking that even though i'm saying it now you're still thinking that but I, I, i'm gonna get you, I'm, I'm gonna get you both out to one of our villages and then you can come on the next podcast and you can say ah that chap nick edwards it was a bit random what he was talking about but it was right <laughs> And presumably then that, that integrates you more closely with the local community as well. If you're exactly. becoming a, an asset and a facility for, for other local residents. Um, it's an amenity. It, it, absolutely right. And so when we when we sort of pitch up and start talking to the local authority and the planners about building an, an Audley or a Mayfield village in a local community, 
there's a at the moment still there's a good deal of um, well there, there's no real awareness of what it is we're going to do but by the end of our first or second sort of open forum planning consultation we probably got a hundred names on our database of people that might want to come and buy units they start off being the ones at the door with placards saying thou shalt not build here <laughs> by the end of it they're they're, they're fully paid up members of the Audley fan club mm. uh, what, what's your current rate of growth at the moment nick how, how many new um properties are you opening well, we, we've got, what have we got, four opening next year. Is it one, two, three, yeah, four next year. Uh, and I would I would expect we should be doing four or five a year. Uh, our pipeline certainly supports that, and the market opportunity does too. Uh, it's From this point, it's quite capital intensive. Um, the debt market's not great in terms of recycling the, the capital invested um, you know, on a particularly efficient basis. So it's quite equity hungry at the moment. Uh, but I, I would, you know, we, we don't set ourselves particular targets of that nature, but I, I would have thought that four or five a year is the right sort of uh, mm. reference point. Do you see that changing, the debt financiers having a, uh, a slightly more flexible approach? Yeah, I do. I mean, I, you know, I was fortunate enough to be uh, in working in a private firm refinancing a load of hotels and shopping centres in 2008, 9, 10, 11, 12. And then after that, sort of kicking off the build to rent financings uh we you know we started off doing that when i was at moorfield and they all went well but and what happened was that the once the institution started to play in the market uh, and evidence their interest in the asset class and build to rent uh the the bank started to think well this must be a bit more real and therefore we'll you know we'll finance them um, so we ended up with development facilities that flipped into investment loans and that worked really quite well and I think we'll, we will get to that point I suspect it's a couple of years off because we've just got to generate the income streams on a meaningful enough basis to, to prove that we can um, you know that we generate decent surplus cash flows that the banks can then finance so I think we're a couple of years away but they're all all of the bankers are smart enough to figure out that this is a good place to lend money they just don't necessarily want to be the first one in um, and um, yeah, which is a little bit of arm twisting, um, but I think we'll I think we'll get there in a couple of years' time. Right. And finally, I think I would just ask you in terms of the parallels with the the hotel business. Um, I mean, I'm intrigued. We, we've noticed here at Hotel Analyst a, a whole bunch of people moving out from hotels into these other um, adjacent areas, hotel alternatives, if you if you want to call them mm. that. Um, 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 is that sort of um, hospitality skill set particularly helpful for for what yes. you guys are doing? Absolutely, I, I, it really is, uh, and I think that the skill shortage that you're seeing in your um, uh, your your main customer base in hotels, we're seeing in in our businesses too, um, and we'll be trying to pull people over from hospitality. We have done most of our uh, general managers, and we use the same terminology really. Most of our general managers in our villages are uh, have hotel backgrounds. Uh, Paul Morgan, who's the managing director in charge of uh, our sales and operations functions uh, is from a hotel background so is Ross Mountsey so there's a lot of lot of hotel ex- expertise in our business um, of course we've got people who understand development and who understand care and all those good things as well um, but in this part of the business uh, yeah a lot of it's hotel uh, hotel led and it's very it's very similar that the, the mindset needs to be the same I, I, what I would say is though I think it's if anything even harder to work in a retirement village than it is to work in a um, to work in a, a normal hotel because our customers don't go and come back they just stay uh, and, they ha- and they have very very long <laughs> memories so you can't sort of you can't sort of fob them off with yes i'm going to fix the um i'm going to fix the tap in room 
127. Oh, sorry, didn't quite get around to it because they're going to be there the next day, and the next day, and the next day. So it's quite, it's, it's quite full on. <laughs> Nick, th- thank, thanks very much for joining us today. It's been an absolute pleasure, gents, and I, I am going to get you down to one of our villages. I've got your email addresses. I <laughs> well, know where you are. Um, well, on so that note, we're looking down. forward to lunch. Okay. Well, thank you very much, Nick. Bye for now. Perfect.